I'm Anton, here with my co-host Shelby, to discuss a variety of topics from across the sustainability universe. Shelby, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Uh, tell me um, how you've been finding the spring so far. Oh, it's been good. Yeah? Um, yeah, no no issues. Like, uh, I'm not one of those allergy people, so that's, that's good. That's good. I've been having, I have been having allergy problems. Ah, Last shoot. week was like a hanky day. Oh. Um, I had to carry my hanky around with me, and then people go, oh, you're really committed to that whole environmental vibe, aren't you? <laughs> That's pretty cool, though. Um, Respect for the hanky. Thank you. But it wasn't <laughs> super pleasant, and so okay. I ended up doing a little research Yeah. because I just like wanted to know. I'm relatively new to Ohio, been just under two years, wanted mm -hmm. to see like what was blooming, what am I allergic to, and so uh, I did a little bit of research on what happens here, and I came across this thing called botanical sexism. Have you heard of oh, this? Oh, really? No, I mean... That sounds weird. Yeah, it's when you, <laughs> you dress trees up as boys because we prefer them to look like really. Them. No, okay, of I course not. not. <laughs> no, but actually, there is a preference for male trees because uh. um, so just like with any other creature, you've got like male and female. Yeah. And the male parts of the tree is all the pollen, which is then supposed to go out and pollinate female trees. Yeah. Uh, which would create fruit and the whole cycle happens, right? Yeah. Like that's how plants work, right? Um, theoretically, except that actually um, we prefer only male plants. We've kind of chosen male plants only or male plants mostly so that it doesn't produce fruit. That sounds counterintuitive to me. Yeah, exactly. I would want my fruit. You would want your fruit, except if you think about like a long city street that's got beautiful trees and then it's like dropping crab uh, apples. Give me a break. I know. Well, there are people who don't like it, and we'll get more into this throughout the show, but um, there are people who don't like that, and so they've strategically planted just male trees, which means that pollen goes everywhere, and it kind of has nowhere to go, Yeah. and it's making it worse for people like me with these allergies. Yeah, the female trees aren't taking in that pollen. Exactly, exactly. I mean, th this isn't at all a segment. I just kind of wanted to tell you about it because um, I'm feeling a little better, but it still frustrated me to no inch know that... Even my runny nose is the fault of something that we need to do about the environment. <laughs> Shelby, I'm going to go plant some female trees for you Thank so that you, you don't have any more runny nose. Thank you so much. I really appreciate yeah. everything you're willing to do for me. <laughs> 100%. Well, we got, a, we got a full docket today. Yeah, we should get um, into it. I wanted to kick off with a little bit on fracking. Not that we've never talked about fracking before. That's true. I'm still kind of a newbie, though, so I, I can always go a little deeper. Yeah. Well... I read an article by Inside Climate News recently about fracking in Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and how researchers are now kind of saying, we're kind of reaching a, a tipping point of where are we going to put all of this toxic radioactive waste that comes from the oil and gas industry? Toxic radioactive yeah. waste. So let me, let me back up a little bit. Yeah, please. So fracking is a horrible process where you take fresh water, you mix it with a bunch of bad chemicals and radioactive isotopes, and you shoot it down into the earth at high pressures to get to oil. Right, yeah, that now, sounds about right. Yeah, now the oil and gas industry, instead of disposing of this properly, it's much cheaper for them to just give this to a municipality and say, hey, this is like a cheap de-icer, you can use it on your roadways. And so we're spreading radioactive waste on our roadways mm. instead of disposing of this waste properly. Mm. And I want to I wanna just say there's really no great way to dispose of this waste. I was going to ask. And I will, I will get into that a little bit later, but 
Are you with me so far on the, the radioactive waste? Yeah, so far. Although I have to ask, yeah. you, you said that they're this output, this sort of toxic output, is then being sold to municipalities, municipalities yeah. yes, yes. as a de-icer. Does yes. it... Does it function that way? I mean, it's not being made for that purpose, right? Like we're just no. kind of repurposing. We're something? repurposing, and even repurposing seems a little bit too nice. A to, little generous. A yeah. little generous. Does right? it function like a like a salt does? Like de-icing is supposed to? Well, this this radioactive oil and gas waste, they, the company will take the gunk out of it, and what you're left with is a still highly toxic, uh, radioactive but saline solution. It's still very okay. salty. So it does. So, work but it does it does work kind of um it's cheaper than salt it's it may be even cheaper than cinders and so communities who don't have a lot of money they're just going to opt for that it's just the economical sense. solution yeah it makes sense but i think you're going to tell me that that's bad it's not good <laughs> this this radioactivity it's it's attaching to um clays in our soil and even our crops are going to um pull this up through their root system we might be eating corn that's been contaminated. Mm. Uh, this is going to run off into our watersheds. And uh, people all over the U.S. have discussed how their livestock has been poisoned and they can't drink from certain streams or springs anymore because of this. Mm. You just mentioned that, you know, people all over the U.S. are saying this. Uh, just to back up a little, when we talk about fracking, is this a U.S. industry? Does this happen around the world? Like, give me some context on that. Yeah, fracking happens around the U.S., mainly through the Appalachian mountain range. Got it. Um, Ohio, Pennsylvania, or, uh, West Virginia are three big, big frackers. Uh, we also see this in other places of the world, Canada, China, and Argentina as well. Wow. Um, they, those are the countries that will sell oil commercially, like worldwide, because mm -hmm. of fracking. Mm -hmm. um, we don't really see a lot in the EU. Mm -hmm. um, actually, we had some German journalists, documenters, they're creating a documentary, come to Buckeye Environmental Network um, to ask them and interview us uh, during one of our trainings on uh, teaching about fracking. Mm. And uh, we tried to convince them fracking's not a great practice, uh, but Germany is looking for ways to uh, get off of uh, Russian oil right now, you know, to have their own energy independence. Uh, I was going to say that makes sense given the political yeah. climate that we're living through, but yeah. it sounds like Buckeye Environmental Network tried to steer them away from that yeah. as an option. We tried to steer them in the right direction. Okay, that's good. Glad yeah. that you're there. Glad that you, the <laughs> Buckeye Ohio-based Environmental Network, are implementing policies in Germany. Yes. Really glad to hear that. Well, we're doing our best. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like we have a good moral compass, so. Yeah, I like to hear uh, <laughs> Um so I wanted to maybe circle back to the, the article. A lot of this radioactive oil and gas waste, um, it's actually being shipped to Ohio to be disposed of. Mm. And the reason why that is is because Pennsylvania's um, injection well program, injection wells is where they shoot this radioactive waste into the bedrock Thank you for clarifying. of the earth. <laughs> um, they actually ship it to Ohio because it's much easier to go through Ohio's program than through Pennsylvania's program. And that's because Pennsylvania is under the national EPA, whereas okay. Ohio EPA is the one that regulates all of our injection well program. Mm, so, so we as a state are more lenient. We're much more lenient. Got it. Um, definitely to a fault. We have injection wells all over, um, and dozens are being permitted each year. So we're, we're just up in the ante every year. Yeah, I mean, we just talked about this, that there's like a new bill that allows this to happen on public lands all over the place, right? Right, for fracking, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and um, 
the more fracking we see, that waste has to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. And what's going to happen is it's either going to end up on our roadways or it's going to be injected deep down into the earth, which also has its problems. Um, as I said, there's no really great way to dispose of this radioactive waste. Um, that's, that chemical solution is going to um, not only cause like earthquakes, but it's going to cause um, springs where literally you're just going to have toxic radioactive oil and gas waste shooting up out of your lawn. Um, I know I have a friend, Lauren, who literally has a spring coming up in her garden because she lives a thousand feet away from a... Uh, an injection well. Oh, that's terrible news. Yeah. So what what can the average person do about this? This this feels like so out of reach, but we, we've found out before that there are things we can do. Well, the best thing and what I will always advocate for is uh, get get edu get um, more information about this. Mm -hmm. Buckeye Environmentals Network's website has um, a webinar that we actually facilitated that has physicians, uh, former first responders, educators, PhD soil scientists, the run of the mill, actually talking about the harms of this brine spreading. And this is a very niche issue. Like not a lot of state legislators really know about this or mm -hmm. know about it in detail. Not a lot of residents know about this. Um, so this is something that we have to continue the conversation on. And also we have to uh, be able to organize as communities, um, educating our environmentally minded neighbors saying, hey, this is this is bad stuff being spread on the roadways. We have to come up with alternatives and open a dialogue with our uh, township trustees and our county commissioners. Because if the state legislature isn't legislature is not going to do anything, then we have to make sure that our local government is is setting setting the tone. Yeah. Well, you know, you said the thing that we can do is educate. So thanks so much for educating me. Oh, 100%. Uh, yeah, because I didn't really know that much about this. I certainly it's didn't such a know. niche issue. Issue, you know. Yeah. You hear fracking. You kind of have a general idea of what that means, but really, all these outputs and what that means yeah. for people—that was news to me. So thanks. Yeah. Hundred percent. All right. That. Uh, is going to segue us into our next segment, which yeah. I think is also about organizing, but in a much cuter way. Love it. Um, <laughs> so this is a super local story for us Northeast Ohioans, mm -hmm. um, and it's from our, our local paper slash news source, cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Whoop, uh, whoop, whoop for Cleveland. Um, so this story comes to us from an elementary school, the Onaway School in Shaker Heights, which is an inner ring suburb around the city of Cleveland. Third and fourth grade students from this elementary school protested last week. Wow, good for them. I'm so excited about it. Thank you, fourth graders and third graders. <laughs> See, I told you it was cute, right? <laughs> it's cute. They were protesting because their school has a pollinator garden. Yeah. So it's growing all sorts of things that we generally call weeds, like milkweed, for example, but all sorts of things, kind of like what we talked about a few episodes ago in like growing pollinator gardens and how important that is, right? You you talked all about this. Yeah, it's, it's important. It's so important. And the students are assigned um, a local bird, butterfly, or moth that they get to adopt. Aww. And they like go out in their pollinator garden and they look for it and they track its life cycle. It's this really cool hands-on learning opportunity yes. for students. And it's good for the environment. I mean, you talked about the importance of native plants that work better with our environment and attract, I mean, pollinators in the first place are yes. a great thing to have. So yes. all of this sounds great, right? Can you think of any reason anybody might not want this? I mean, some people don't like the, the looks of native plants. And what I would say to them is go take a walk. So. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Um, Shaker Heights is a community that uh, has, I shouldn't say 
all people in the community. Some people in the community are saying, we don't like the look of this garden, you need to move it. Um, and so they ha the community has planned to move this pollinator garden elsewhere so that it can't be seen kind of from the outside. Um, but the students said, heck no, those are our butterflies. Yeah. <laughs> those are our native Good plants. Them. Good for them, right? And so, yeah, they staged a protest together. They said, this is NIMBYism. I don't think we've talked about that yet on the podcast, but I think you know what I mean when I say I that. Do. Yeah, NIMBYism, NIMBY stands for not in my backyard. Yeah. It's this idea that like, oh yeah, I want good things for the world, just not in my backyard. Right, right. I don't want, I don't want these native pollinator gardens by the school. Or, yeah, I don't yeah. want to have to look at that when I'm on my run in the morning oh. or, you know, Gosh. so someone you might ask would say, yeah, I, I want that in general. I believe that pollinators are good. I just don't want them there where they're yeah. in my face. Yeah. Um, that's a terrible way for us to approach issues, yeah, right? 100%. Like we, if we believe in something, then we should believe in it where we live too. Um, and so I, I think about this, um, when I, or I should say I thought about this when I got a newsletter from my local township. I don't live in the city of Cleveland, um, but I got this newsletter this same week that these protests are happening in Shaker Heights that told me in my township, it's illegal for me to grow these types of plants. They're native. Mm -hmm. They grow on their own, just to be clear. Uh, but I can't keep them. So if dandelions and milkweed were to pop up in my theoretical, hypothetical garden, I would have to remove them or else yeah. I would be breaking township rules. Isn't just, that... just break the rules, Shelby. <laughs> well, I don't have a garden just yet because I live in a tiny apartment. But it, it struck me that third and fourth graders recognize the importance of these plants and then the creatures that they bring to our community and learning and embracing Ohio as it naturally is. Yes. And that my township is saying, well, we just don't think that has a lot of curb appeal, so we're not going to do that. It's just so wild to me. I mean, I don't know. I, I understand that certain communities are more buttoned up, if you will. Sure. But like, can you not appreciate like the nature and the ecosystem that's going on? Like, there's some of these like cool moths and butterflies that yeah. you won't get anywhere else if you don't plant these these host plants, you know? These are like exclusively going to cling on to certain plants like milkweed and others. Yeah. I remember when I first moved to Cleveland, I actually went for a walk um, over in a, a different inner ring neighborhood and passed a pollinator garden, not this one, but just one in somebody's backyard. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm totally going to be at home here. Mm. I had just gotten to Cleveland. I didn't yeah. really know what to expect. And when I saw that, I thought, oh, this is a this is a city. This is a community that really cares about the environment. Yeah. Um, so I'm so heartened to see that yeah. these young Young people, I mean, young, tiny yeah. people, third and fourth graders are like seven, eight, nine years old, yeah. um, but they organized. You as a community organizer must be so proud. I am, I am so proud. <laughs> I would love to, to meet like these kids and tell them a good job and yeah. Yeah. I just, I just think that's the bomb. Well, we salute you, uh, the, <laughs> the students of Onaway School in Shaker Heights and think you're doing a great job. Uh, I'm ready for our next segment if you yeah, are. Yeah, 100%. So... Shelby, in your walks around Cleveland, mm -hmm. have you noticed any fun smells around the city? All sorts of them. All sorts of things? Sometimes fun, sometimes surprising, sometimes unpleasant, but yeah. um, always there, always something. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, last week I made you smell the horrible smell of the calorie pear, I the, the blossoms. I think that there's still blossoms up my nose, to yeah, be totally honest. it smells horrible. <laughs> well, some of these smells uh, that I'm going to talk about today are actually worse than the calorie pear. Oh, no. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Smell My City app. The Smell My City. Smell My City app. App. Application for your yes, phone. Yes, for your phone. Great. Something you download. Um, this app is actually developed by Carnegie Mellon, mm. uh, and they developed it because of air pollution in urban areas. And so people can report what they smell, like whether it's like a sulfur smell or mm-hmm. like a chlorine smell or whatever it is. Yeah. And they can say, do you have any symptoms like runny nose, sore throat, coughing when you go by this certain area in your neighborhood? And it actually will crowdsource this data and researchers will be able to look at it and say, wow, the air pollution here is really not good. Um, and that's going to teach us a lot about um, more about the city, about the toxic uh, chemicals that you're exposed to. Um, have you used it yet? Have you used the app? I have. So I live like four blocks from a uh, PPG, which is like a, like a paint facility kind of sure. uh, a company that makes paint. And I actually reported them because... Pretty much any time of day that I drive by that or bike by mm-hmm. it, I smell nail polish. And mm. I actually asked somebody with a chemistry degree, like, what is this likely uh, a product of? Like, what, what are these smells coming from? What did you find out? Um, it was methyl ethyl codone, which is like a highly cancerous toxic smell, uh, toxic, not smell, but toxic chemical. Mm. And if you're smelling toxins, you're breathing in toxins. Mm. So uh, I'm a little bit actually concerned about you know, living very close to this facility. Like, am I increasing my risk for cancer? I think probably. So you reported it in the Smell My City app. Yeah. What was that experience like? Like what happens yeah. for you as a user after you've reported it? Uh, you can see it on the map. It comes up in like a little red triangle, like, oh, somebody reported something here. Mm. And every time that you smell these smells, you can report it. So it's like, how often is this happening every day? Um, for me, every time I walk by it, if I wanted to report it, I could just report it. And um, eventually that data could be used uh, by, I guess, the researchers at Carnegie Mellon and hopefully uh, by the residents of the community to dialogue with council people mm-hmm. or with the mayor and say, hey, like this facility is kind of like killing us over here. Like, is there anything we can do to like maybe reduce the emissions or, or work with the company? Yeah, can you see what other people have reported? So if you reported it and then I reported it, could I see like somebody else in my community has also experienced this? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So that's that's the great thing. Um, you can you can really just go around and see what other people in their neighborhoods have reported. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen a lot pop up in Cleveland just yet. Um, this originated in Pittsburgh, so I hope we're not too far off from sure. this getting normalized in Cleveland. Um, but I, I always love the idea of crowdsourcing this data. Um, it really will help a community come together and organize around making sure that their health is intact and we're not getting uh, poisoned by our companies. Yeah, I I love this idea. I'm definitely going to download the app because I'm all about crowdsourcing data sharing. Um, but I'm also curious about ways that we can use it. Uh, well, I should say first that I'm so glad that you shared it because you just said Thank that you. we, we, we want to get more of this in our city. But yeah, you mentioned being able to use it for advocacy. Yeah. And so I want to know how like how we get to access the data and then yeah, mm-hmm. how can we use that to 
to yeah. organize internally within our neighborhoods and put together campaigns about yeah. uh, pushing back on industry. You know, that's actually an excellent question. I haven't I haven't really gone too far into it. I would love to follow up with you yeah. in another show or put it in the show notes. Totally. Um, getting in touch with Carnegie Mellon and getting some of this data and saying maybe even they have some uh, ideas about how to use this for advocacy since yeah. they were the ones that developed it. I just wanted to plug really quick, mm -hmm. um, some smells that you might smell in your community may include like a plasticky smell, like if you play your music too loud and then your speakers like blow out, like that smell. Yes, Those that's could be, such a good description. I know exactly what yeah, you're talking right? about. I mean, I've done it many times, unfortunately, <laughs> um, blown out my speakers. Uh, but you're smelling toxic VOCs, if that's the case. VOCs are? VOCs are volatile organic compounds. Great, and, great. Um, another thing is chlorine, um, just like breaking up uh, things that make plastic. Uh, so a lot of people during East Palestine, they smelled like a sweet chlorine smell. Mm. Um, that's because of the, uh, I forget what it's called, the uh, stuff that makes PVC. Mm, we can put it in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, also watch out for sulfur or like a nail polish smell, which mm. is what I smell um, over at PPG near my, near my neighborhood. And then lastly, just also make sure that you're checking for like runny nose, runny eyes, uh, sore throat, coughing, mm. um, and report that stuff. I, th I think there's a real chance that we can make some progress in our communities if we, if we have it documented. I love that. Listen, today we've talked a lot about different ways that communities are organizing, about yeah. different issues, uh, really serious things, yeah. talking about education, talking about tiny children yes. coming together to organize. This Good for is just, them. just one more way yeah. for us to gather data and community input and say the environment's important to us. Yeah, 100%. Shelby, thank you so much for discussing all things green with me. How about you let our viewers know how they can stay in touch with us? Absolutely. If you'd like to stay connected to us, please be sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at One Planet Media. That's O-N-E-1. And if you'd like to re-watch full episodes, check out our YouTube channel, The All Things Green Show. You can also check out all of our sources from today's episode in the show notes. We'll be back at the same time next week to bring you more news. Thank you so much for being a part of the global sustainability movement.